As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Happy July to you all. Welcome into the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and with me, as always, is my podcast co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And we are in the throes of summer. Training camp still a couple of weeks away, and uh, now we're uh, starting to hone in and and figuring out exactly what we're going to be looking for with this team, specifically heading into the season with high expectations I'm sure there are a lot of questions that you all have about the, about the team too. So uh, there are there are quite a few things that we can get to, but we'll we'll we're gonna preview training camp uh, on the whole. Maybe some some players that we're looking forward to seeing um, and seeing how they progress, uh, especially with maybe how they ended their spring workouts, or you know just just generally to see how this roster kind of evolves over the course of. Uh, late July into all of August, and then into the uh, into the regular season. But uh, Matthew, the one thing that we have this year that we can look forward to is there's an actual preseason where a lot of these young guys that that we talk about um, that we see in training camp, we actually get to see what they do um, in an in actual game settings, and I think that is going to determine a lot more roster spots this year um, than maybe some years with with how much competition they have down there. Yeah, I think it eliminates some of the guessing game, you know, in terms of how these guys will look in game action. And it also adds a different wrinkle to the roster construction puzzle because guys who play well behind closed doors in training camp, which last year was essentially entirely behind closed doors it was easier to hide some players potentially uh, Mm -hmm. especially with the expanded rosters and covid kind of slowing down the amount of movement between rosters at the end of training camp now you have preseason games where the whole league will get to study these games and see who is standing out and it will be harder to hide your your sleepers or your favorite under the radar players that that you're hoping to sneak through to the practice squad. And it'll, I think, separate 
a lot of guys. It'll make a lot of these roster decisions easier for the Bills and, and probably give us a better picture of, of what this team looks like after seeing those depth players work their way through a couple of preseason games. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, since Brandon Bean has been around in Buffalo, the Bills have only flat out released two of their draft picks um, from from that year, one of which was Austin Prohl, um, who they did not bring back to the practice squad. And then the other was Dane Jackson last year, who might have they might have got away with because of exactly what you were talking about. Um, and because, you know, no teams really were able to get any film on on him. Um, you know, maybe he was a little bit outperformed during training camp. But if he had gotten the preseason, knowing what we know about him now and what he did once he actually got in the games, he probably would have played himself onto the roster and I don't know in normal years that that they would have necessarily cut him. So, uh, so yeah, that it adds it definitely adds another element to it. All right, so let's like think about training camp on the whole. I guess we'll we'll kind of split it up, offense and defense, just to just to really make our thoughts concise here. And I think the only place to start would probably be on the offensive side of the ball, just because it is the identity of the team. It's no longer the defense. I mean, 2020 definitely shifted that uh, line of thinking from the previous season because, you know, the defense was obviously the the lead for this for this team under Sean McDermott for a long time. And now it's the offense. And rightfully so, because they wouldn't have gotten to the, the lengths that they did in the playoffs last year without the offense taking as big of a, a step forward. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, pieces that have come back. You know, there's a couple of new pieces like Emmanuel Sanders, Jacob Hollister, uh, but it all kind of centers around Josh. So it, it is a fair question, specifically heading into training camp, whether or not they're capable of doing what they did last year. Um, because it is an extremely high bar, and their efficiency on offense was outstanding, specifically with the passing offense. So, what do you make of Josh this year? And and you know, is there regression potentially? Uh, maybe not even like huge regression, but just just some statistical regression, just based on teams playing them a bit differently. Yeah, I think regression is always possible. Um, you know, the idea that there's only, you can only go up, uh, it doesn't work that way in the NFL. Right. It doesn't work that way with quarterbacks in particular. Progression throughout the career is not always uh, simply on this upward linear trajectory. There are, you know, peaks and valleys uh, throughout a career. I think Josh Allen established, you know, last year that he has an upside in his game that, you know, that might not have been his peak last year. And maybe it was his peak. And if it was his peak, that's a damn good peak, you know, and if he can hang out in the vicinity of that peak for uh, a good chunk of his career, he'll have, you know, one of the best careers of any quarterback to ever uh, play for the bills. But this will be a challenge. I think that is not 
only Josh Allen's to bear. I think Brian Dable and you know the other players on offense need to be able to reinvent themselves a little bit and you know not be you always have to figure out a way to stay fresh and stay ahead of the competition and after what they did last year spreading the field out so much throwing the ball the way that they did you know teams are going to try to figure out a way to counteract that now i think there's a built-in floor for this offense because they have a, a wide receiver in stefan diggs who is really difficult to cover and that alone regardless of what your you know your scheme situation is or if, if people catch up to your tendencies that guy's just really hard to cover and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley should provide enough of a a, a counter punch that if teams have to go over the top to take away Stefan Diggs that Josh Allen still has the options to carve up you know most defenses that they face but I think it's going to be an interesting challenge for them to follow up last season because that was everything was clicking for them and everything went really really well even Brandon Bean said at the end of last season that repeating that effort was not going to be easy if for no other reason than they stayed remarkably healthy on that side of the ball and that alone is tough to predict tough to repeat you don't know where injuries will pop up and what they'll do to a team so it's fine to prepare for a little bit of regression from Josh Allen while recognizing that that will not doom the team depending on you know you know certainly there's a limit to what regression uh, the bills can accept from their quarterback but he doesn't need to necessarily be exactly what he was last year for this team to win as many games as it did last year for this team to go farther than it did last year he needs to be better in those big games. He needs to be better than he was in the AFC championship game. Uh, but that's true of any quarterback that does not win the Super Bowl. Almost any time you come up short in the playoffs, there's going to be a game that you wish you had back. There's going to be a performance that didn't quite uh, live up to your standard. The fact is there's now a new standard that they've set. There's a new bar that they've set. Reaching that bar year after year is a massive challenge and one that uh, I think they recognize. And the fact that he's got his coordinator back and his quarterback's coach back, I think both of those things should be, you know, huge benefits for him. He's got his whole offensive line back. Really, the only major difference is Emmanuel Sanders for John Brown, which mm-hmm. could prove to be an upgrade, frankly. Yeah, I honestly, I think with how John Brown looked last year, I think it is an upgrade compared to how Emmanuel Sanders looked last year. Um, it just the way that Emmanuel Sanders wins on his routes uh, would seem to me to be conducive to helping out Josh Allen this year. Now, in terms of their aggression, the Dable thing is humongous. Uh, just a, a just an absolutely huge part to this. Because now, rather than having to, not let's say they would have um, brought back, or let, let's say Dable would have gotten a head coach and they um, they upgraded Ken Dorsey to their their uh, offensive coordinator position, like a lot of people predicted that that would happen if Dable indeed left. Um, even if you still have the same 
people, kind of, in place, there is still kind of a, a getting-to-know-you process in that with, you know, how the new offensive coordinator, even even if they were in building, um, calls a game. So having Dayball back is huge to Allen, potentially hitting that those same thresholds that he did last year. And I think another sneaky part about this that can kind of curtail some of the regression is the way that the Bills discussed their passing offense um, throughout June. It kind of felt like that they were ready to to lean in to the passing game, maybe maybe more than because Sean McDermott last year like really harped on getting the running game going, and it almost kind of felt like you know maybe they realize okay we know who we are and all of the all of the stats and advanced metrics about their passing offense and how prolific it was last year maybe they're just finally going okay let's just do full turn into it and not to say to abandon the run entirely but to to actually um to actually let this thing fly and not and not really have to like feign this well, you got to be balanced, or or you gotta you gotta run the ball. You gotta be successful uh, to run the ball. I think the the key is to be successful when you choose to run the ball. Um, to give yourself that option of having a a I guess finger quotes balanced look. But uh, all in all, I think I think it it lends itself to Allen as long as he stays sharp. And this is kind of the the big thing for him. If he stays sharp on his mechanics. And, uh, you know, his footwork in the pocket, which he did a really great job of. The processing is there. We, we know that. That took a giant step forward last year. But it's the accuracy that improved more than anything um, from year year two to year three. And so now if, if he's able to make sure his, his, uh, his lower body and his upper body are attached and he's not doing two different things at once, making sure he's not dipping that shoulder, uh, and, and, you know, you know, causing himself to be a a bit more inaccurate. These are all things that can help him stay sharp because once you reach that peak of success, like Josh Allen did last year, it's kind of human nature to rest on your laurels just a little bit. Um, so that's really going to be a, a, a challenge for him uh, just to continue to push himself now that he's reached kind of the the apex of a of personal development. I think it's part of what you know. Josh Allen's personality plays into this, where he's not the type of yeah. quarterback that I think is easily satisfied, and that probably is rooted in you know how his career started and the long road he took to even get to Division One, let alone the NFL. And it has to add a little bit of an edge when the season ended the way that it did, you know, and he didn't have his best game when it mattered most and when he wanted to have his best game. So that was just not as if he needed an extra reason to stay sharp or to continue to to tinker and improve his mechanics and the way he plays the position. But that was all all he really needed and you know it's an it's going to be an interesting transition for a lot of teams in the NFL and I think the Bills uh you know fall into this where 
they had such a good season last year, despite the fact that they didn't have, you know, spring workouts and they had a shortened training camp and no preseason. And now they have all those things uh, at their disposal and they can, you know, potentially, you know, use that to their advantage. And I think the other element of the post pandemic NFL that will be interesting, particularly here locally is the effect of full stadiums, because I think it was pretty clear that this was not just the bills that offenses in general benefited from no fans in the stands or a small amount of fans in the stands, a lot quieter, a lot easier to communicate. I think there is a clear benefit to playing offense calmly than there is to playing defense calmly Your defense. You're trying to feed on your energy and your emotion, which is easy to uh, muster up with the crowd harder to do without one. And on offense, it's less about, uh, you know, certainly energy and emotion can matter, but I think there's a, an element of focus and, you know, calm and clarity that you need to have that clearly I think played out across the league with offenses performing uh, a lot better with without, you know, 70,000 fans uh, screaming in the stands. So I think that will be a bit of an adjustment, not just for the Bills, but for a lot of teams, uh, you know, and a lot of passing offenses around the league, how they deal with uh, not even just on the road. I mean, in your own stadium, certainly fans are quieter when you're on offense, but it's still a lot different when 70,000 people are watching you than when the place is completely empty. Uh, It was a bizarre feeling for everybody uh, in the building. So that's another s- small thing I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. And I think the bills are too, considering they uh, worked on crowd noise during the spring, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were blaring artificial crowd noise during practice and trying to reacclimate themselves to that. I think the effect of the crowd will probably never be stronger than in those first few games when it's back, because they just haven't felt the, the full force of a crowd in quite a long time. And I think, uh, it'll take a little bit of getting used to, I don't know. It's hard to know what impact it will have on the season at all. Just like it was hard to know what impact empty stadiums would have on the season. I think we'll need, you know, a sample size of this year and compare it to last year to kind of get a feel for it. But it's certainly something I'm, I'm mindful of and something I think people should be mindful of if the numbers are a little bit worse or, or the scoring is down, it doesn't necessarily make them, a worse offense or a worse team. Uh, there's a lot of variables that go into every every season. Yeah, absolutely. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. 
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, the Another piece to this Bill's offense uh, that I think is worth our time of a conversation just based on because this is probably the most volatile of of the that entire side of the ball um is the offensive line because you know we we saw Deion Dawkins continue to show that he's a great uh left tackle in the league well worth the money a, a great re-signing a great pick and so he he has lived up to it but the rest of the offensive line you know, maybe minus Daryl Williams, um, as long as he continues his play from last year. The rest of the offensive line is kind of a question mark because they got uh, they got called into question about their run blocking uh, chant abilities last year. You know, there was some a lot of wonder about whether or not Mitch Morse would be back this year until he renegotiated his deal. Uh, then there was John Feliciano, who is a free agent who had to sign a contract worse than what Quentin Spain signed a couple of years ago. Uh, Cody Ford is a big question mark because he has been injured a bunch and, you know, we haven't really gotten to see him get in the groove of whether or not he can be a legitimate answer at, at guard. Ike Butker was kind of a, just an, an average, um, player last year you know Ryan Bates might might mix in there somewhere uh but there's there's just a lot of uncertainty I think we know what the starting five will be but I think what we don't know is whether or not that unit on the whole will be good or better or will they be a, a weakness to what they're trying to do and maybe contribute to some of the regression that maybe uh that the passing offense could see this year yeah, it's an interesting group because I don't think it was a, a top group in the league last year, but they elected to bring basically the entire group back. So they need improvement from within to take that next step, whether it's being more efficient in the running game or you know being better in pass protection in crucial moments. They need to, mostly on the interior, figure out, you know, who they want in there and how long they can stick with that group, you know, if it's the right, right group. Because there are questions about the futures, I would say, of, you know, the the key four in there are Ike Bucker, Cody Ford, Mitch Morse, and John Feliciano, all of which have, you know, varying questions to answer. Uh, I think Mitch Morse has played uh, played well. Maybe he hasn't lived up to highest paid center in the league but he's played pretty well, uh, given, you know, contract notwithstanding, he's a good player uh, and, a, and yeah. a good center for you. And I think made a lot of sense to bring him back despite, you know, the money they could have saved. I, I think John Feliciano and, you know, John Feliciano, the question is, will he ever be above, you know, sort of a, a replacement level type of player? He's not paid like one at the moment. Uh, I think he is a an important piece to the offensive line and how it all fits together with his personality and his leadership. Uh, he's certainly an aggressive run blocker and a guy that Josh Allen trusts a lot. So a good guy to have in there. But you would think they're, they have an eye in the future toward potentially upgrading that spot. And, and then the yeah. two guys on the left, 
Cody Ford, you know, coming off an injury and we, we just don't know what he is yet, frankly, yep. uh, how good he is and whether he is a piece of the future. It feels like Ike Butker probably has the, the fewest questions to answer of any in this group. Not that he's cemented himself as an absolute stud, but he has, I think, you know what you have in Ike Butker and, you know, Perhaps can you do better? Yeah, that's why you're you're trying to see what you can get out of Cody Ford. But Ike Bucker is at the very least a pretty solid backup to have on the interior of your offensive line, capable of moving around. I think he's he's a good plug and play option when you need him. And there might still be some room for growth there. You know, who knows? It, it's uh, one of those positions where you know guys can come along slowly. I think he's reached uh, a pretty good spot in his career, and he's a good guy for them to have. And you mentioned Ryan Bates could potentially factor in here as well, but they didn't do a tremendous amount, you know, in the draft in that particular area. So, you know, I wonder if if Forrest Lamp can can work his way into the mix right. somehow. Uh, a, really talented prospect coming out of college who's dealt with a ton of injuries, but the type of low risk gamble that they love to take, you know, the type of guy that they like to roll the dice on and see what they can get out of them. Another nice insurance option to have. Like, I don't think they're going to get themselves and this is how they built the offensive line. They don't put themselves in a spot where the offensive line is going to be a disaster because they, even when, even if, is it the best unit in the league? No. But even if John Feliciano gets hurt or Cody Ford doesn't live up to, uh, you know, what they, they wanted him to be or Mitch Morse gets banged up, they have flexible and capable pieces on the interior of the offensive line that they can plug and play and move around so that it's not a total mess. And looking around the league and even looking at the Bills just a few years ago, it is easy for your offensive line to become a total mess in the NFL. And I feel like they've safeguarded against that the way they've built this group the last couple of years, starting uh, in 2019. And now what they have is there's definite room for growth with this group. And I think they're capable of it if they can come together and stay healthy. But there's also options for if, you know, certain guys don't pan out or, you know, injuries happen. So I don't expect this, this to be a weakness necessarily because of who they have, but I am curious to see if they can take it to a different level because they did show some faith in these guys by bringing them back. Uh, And, you know, two of them were free agents, Uh, Mitch Morris, they could have saved some money. So, you know, to, to different extents, they brought those three guys back. They made that that conscious decision, and they drafted a few guys behind them, recognizing that in the future, you know, at tackle in particular, they could, you know, potentially see a, a different direction. So that's that's probably a one of the main things for me in training camp is to see that group because in the spring it's really hard. Uh, you know, with with no pads to get a real feel. And last year was so short uh, in training camp that it was 
it was tough for offensive lines to get ready. And when you're a team that throws the ball so much, it's tough to really get your reps running the ball uh, and run blocking. So having a more full training camp with some preseason games should, in theory, be a benefit to that group. Yeah. Um, the one one thing, one possibility I might add to the conversation that, that could happen, might be a year premature, is if Spencer Brown, the Bills' third-round pick, uh, offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa, if he comes in and um, plays really well because he he does have a lot of uh, a lot of potential to him, if if he plays extremely well throughout the summer and in the preseason, you know that might potentially be able to help them shift some pieces because maybe maybe they put him at right tackle and maybe they shift Daryl Williams inside to guard and that solves two problems for you with having two long-term pieces um, basically uh, spending the same amount that that you would have anyway so uh, there are some options there I, I I doubt that will happen because I think Spencer Brown is probably a year uh, plus away from probably factoring into it, but it's at least something to throw out there just based on the way he moves his feet and, and everything like that. So, so, so yeah, a lot, a lot to be determined with this offensive line group, but, uh, definitely one of the more compelling ones now quickly. Well, it's before, a good, um, it's a good thought to beyond 2021, the idea yeah. that it's not, it doesn't have to be Spencer Brown or Daryl Williams. And that's how they've set up their, offensive line is that it doesn't have to be this or that when they have guys who can do more than one thing and exactly you know daryl williams contract is set up that it can be spencer brown instead of daryl williams if they want it to be but i think you saw this offseason that they recognize and what the rest of the league recognizes which is it is hard to replace offensive linemen and mm-hmm. drafting and developing those guys is a huge advantage uh, if you can do it successfully. And they they didn't want to be in the business of trying to rebuild an entire offensive line this offseason when they were so cash-strapped. And I think that shows that you know they may not just discard Daryl Williams just because they can save X amount of dollars on the salary cap if he can fill a hole at guard and you know help them out somewhere else because it is just not easy to replace those guys. Yeah, exactly, and and Brandon Bean even admitted after the fact uh, that they they thought Williams was going to factor in at, at guard for them initially, but then he played tackle and just took hold of the job. So that's kind of how they're they're playing it, just letting letting things evolve the way that that um, that they do. Because rather than just thinking, okay, this player has to play in this spot, that's one thing that they do. They throw all of their offensive linemen. At, except for the established, established starters, basically everywhere along the line, and then uh, just trying to see see what works for them. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, quickly before we get to the defensive side of the ball, uh, a couple of skill player things I'll be keeping my eye on, just like little minor battles. Um, You know, what happens between Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis and and who's going to win uh, the the rights to that job if if they don't split it down the middle entirely. Um, Then there's, I, I do, I am, kind of intrigued by uh by Jacob Hollister and because of how he moved around in the spring because if Dawson Knox falters early on in the season maybe Hollister has a little bit of a bigger role and then the running backs too just because um you know we saw Devin Singletary slim down a crazy amount uh he looks great honestly but it it's more about how he uh how he runs the ball and whether or not he's going to get north south as opposed to east west so uh, that that remains to be seen, and if Zach Moss will just take hold of the backfield for when they do actually run it. So all of those things, and we'll get more in-depth to those uh, when we get closer to, to camp starting. But moving over to the defensive side of the ball, this is, this is a, a huge thing for them because if they go into this season and they have a top-five offense like they did last year and then come through and and let's say they have a top 12 defense. That's probably meaning that this is one of the the best teams in the NFL, right? Or or because they have just so so much potential. Um they added pieces to their pass rush. It seems like the linebackers are healthy again and confident and uh they've got their cor- their top cornerback, they've got their safeties, got all these things working for them. So if they can just kind of right the ship a little bit, it it almost feels like getting back to their roots in 2019 is somewhat possible as long as the pass rush uh, cooperates. Yeah, I think I don't think the Bills were bad on defense last year, but I don't right. think they were a unit that teams necessarily feared or at least the best offenses feared. They had some great Great performances, some great games. I mean, what they did to Baltimore in the playoffs was outstanding. And, yeah. you know, they as they got along in the season, I think they got more comfortable. And again, you know, I'll, I'll bring up the crowd again here because it could play to their advantage. You know, having the home crowd uh, in Buffalo, I think, is a, a big deal. And even just having the energy of a crowd in general is a much bigger deal to an offense or to a defense than it is to an offense. They're they're such a solid group that they're never going to be a huge problem for the team, but they do have potential to to be what they were a couple of years ago. I, I think that's all still there. The the core pieces have gotten older. You know, the strengths of the defense, Jerry Hughes, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. They're all getting up there in age, but I think they're all still very solid players. It's going to be about somebody emerging as a difference maker. You know, Tredavious White has been, uh, you know, I would say 
their biggest difference maker on defense, uh, you know, a guy that can erase part of the field. And he's also found a way to come up with some big plays. And he's really just a superstar on, you know, at that position, one of the best in the league. Who else can approach that territory? And the two guys I think that people probably will pay the most attention to are Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds because they're high picks. That's what you hope for when you you take a player that high. I think if either one of those players reaches that level, then they're in business and could be exactly what I talk about, a, a defense that teams fear. Uh, you know, you have to game plan around Tredavious White to an extent, but he's one cornerback. You can throw away from him. You can find ways around it. You can you can only game plan so much for a game-wrecking interior defensive lineman or a linebacker who can finish some of the interceptions that he's gotten his hands on and not hauled in. You know, he's, he's been so close to some game-breaking plays uh, over the years and hasn't quite gotten there. You know, a guy that can get into the backfield and, and cause, you know, plays to go for a loss or a guy that can cause turnovers – those two, to me, are are big because, yes, they drafted a few defensive ends and they should contribute in certain areas and in certain roles. But, you know, they're you're, you're going to get the best out of them a couple years down the road. You're already a couple years down the road with Oliver and Edmonds. And of course, there's the veterans that they know they have, um, you know, and Matt Milano and and their defensive ends, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. To an extent, they know what they're getting out of all those guys. It's how good can Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds get? I think that's those are it's the key question about this group as a whole going into the season. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I think they can get by and and have an upgraded season if uh, for defensively that is if Ed Oliver plays along the same level as what he did last year because I actually thought he was he was pretty good. Um, and the stats weren't there. And so that's, uh, so the flashy plays not being there probably hurts his stock amongst, um, you know, casual observers that, that watch the, watch game days. But like when you watch the film, he's, he's, he's pretty good on film. And I think he'll benefit from having a, a bigger, more block occupying, uh, player next to him in, uh, in Star Latulale on those early downs, so th- that that should help conceivably. But I think really uh, between those two, the guy that can that can take this defense back to high levels is Edmonds. Um, Edmonds was one of their worst performing players last year uh, in the first half of the season, bar none. I mean, there's no way around it. He had the shoulder injury, um, which definitely deserves some consideration here. But he was making a lot of mistakes and he was being passive and all of these different things to where it made you wonder if he took a major step back. But what I will say about Edmonds is in the second half of the season, he rescued it a bit. It didn't mean it was it was an incredible season and he took the, the massive leap forward that they wanted him to. But he got back to the same player that he was uh, in his second season. And that, I think, was an important step for him. Because not only does that mean he's 
good in coverage, but he's being a bit more aggressive as a as a run defender and and being a bit more instinctive, which is what they they want from him. And and being able to disengage from blocks a bit better. He he showed all of these things later on in the season that were quite frankly missing in that first half of the year. So if he can continue to do those things and then just do them at, at a higher level and then you throw the the work on blitzes on third downs into the mix like Tremaine Edmonds is a nightmare blitzer uh when when he's given those opportunities because uh, a lot of times you'll see the Bills widen out their defensive tackles on on third downs and then they go with a double A gap mug which is the two linebackers on on each side of the center just to try and you know create some some helter skelter uh, type of thought processes with with the offensive line and the quarterback, and if they send Edmonds, he he does a really nice job of getting in there. Or if they send him off the edge, that they, they sometimes do that as well on third downs. But that's that's a strength of his game. So if he can take a step, we know he's good in coverage. If he can take the step forward um, as a run defender and and really improve upon where he was right at the end of last year then I think he can he can really take a a uh, help this defense on the whole take a major step forward because that middle linebacker spot is so important to their scheme both from a pass coverage and a run defending standpoint and if he's at the top of his game and is one of the 10 best players on the team heck one of the 15 best players on the team then I think this this will take the defense a, a pretty long ways yeah, and they have a question to answer about him in general, about what they're going to do with his contract and, you know, mm-hmm. where they're going to go. Uh, you know, that's a big piece to the future of their defense is, you know, how Edmonds fits in and whether they need to replace him at some point. And I don't think it's reached that critical point yet. Like, I don't think he's a guy that needs to be replaced. But, you know, things can go one of two ways this season. And, you know, I, I could see him cementing his status as a fixture on this defense, uh, but they could also get caught in that in-between mode where they don't know if his, you know, market value is going to fit into their long-term plans. So, yeah, I think he has a lot to prove. I think I think he probably has more to prove than almost anybody on this team. Uh, I, I think, you know, when you're drafted that high and particularly when the other first round pick in your draft class has become an MVP candidate, uh, it certainly, you know, sets a bar that, you know, they they have to have a no brainer decision with him, ideally, to say this guy is worth X amount of dollars to be our middle linebacker for the future. And if they have to reset at that position, that would be a bit of a, a setback long term for their defense. So, he certainly had that play he made in minicamp, you know, was the type of play you expect from him. I know the run game is a, a sticking point for people and rightfully so. And we'll get a better idea of that when pads come on in training camp and, and in the regular season. But yeah, he has he has something to prove. And and I'm sure he he feels the same way. I'm sure going back and watching, particularly early part of his season, you know, wasn't uh, a pleasant experience for him, uh, you know, with the injury and everything else. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see which direction he takes it. That and the number two cornerback battle are probably the two mm-hmm. two interesting 
things to watch on on defense in training camp. You know, probably the cornerback battle will be more of a training camp, an answer we get in training camp. And I don't think it's, you know, like I, I said earlier with, you know, the long term of Spencer Brown and, and Daryl Williams, I don't think they have to say, you know, one guy is necessarily the full time 100 percent of the snap starter. I think there's room for both Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace in this defense if they earn it. I think Levi Wallace, it seems like it's his job to lose as well as Dane Jackson has played in the spring at times. Levi Wallace is still a guy that they trust and a guy that gives them a baseline that they can count on. He is not an elite player, but he doesn't necessarily need to be in their defense. Dane Jackson can beat him out though. Dane Jackson looks confident. He looks uh, energized and ready for the opportunity. Spent a lot of his offseason here. So I think that's going to be a fun one to watch, particularly because they get to go up against elite players daily with Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Gabriel Davis probably doesn't classify as elite quite yet, but he's a talented young player. Cole Beasley, uh, they don't match up against quite as often, but everybody gets a turn in one-on-ones at somebody, right? And mm-hmm. I think that part of camp is always, you know, an, an exciting drill to watch and, and just those daily battles should be fun. And it's going to require the confidence that I mentioned with Dane Jackson, that just that mental fortitude to be able to handle losing a lot of those reps because the guys on the other side of the ball are really good. Yeah, that 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 is for sure. They will test them every single day. Real quick on on Edmonds, my my favorite um, stat on him uh, with this year's draft class is that Tremaine Edmonds heading into his fourth year is younger than half of the players the Bills picked in 2021. Boogie Basham, Spencer Brown, Demar Hamlin, and Marquez Stevenson are all older than Edmonds, and Tommy Doyle was only born four days after Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, Doyle was born on May 6th. Edmonds was born on, on May 2nd. So just, just kind of ridiculous stuff there. But yeah, the, the cornerback um, the cornerback group is the, the overall top billing competition on the entire team because you've got Jackson, you've got Levi. Uh, we'll see if Rashad Wild Goose can, can factor in, even though I – Probably don't think it probably a, a bit early for any of that. I, I do wonder if Rashad Wild Goose can factor into the the nickel um, competition at all, but uh, we'll see how they develop him as, as training camp goes along. But that's that's absolutely going to be fascinating to watch. And it, they might not even need the full preseason because what you, what you talked about, I mean, they'll utilize preseason by, by all means, but when you're going up against Diggs, Sanders, and Beasley and Gabriel Davis and to a lesser extent Isaiah McKenzie and Isaiah Hodgins like those are those are talented players and if you don't bring it on one rep you're going to get embarrassed so if I guess whoever's the most consistent and shows against that level of competition uh, that has a pretty good shot to stick all right um I think I think we we got through a lot here um real quick is there like one player um that that you're looking forward to to seeing that that maybe we didn't mention i, I think i think the one that i would i uh, you know what i did i did mention jacob hollister so 
So I, I'm content. So is there someone that that maybe you have your eye on that you're like, okay, let's see what this guy has. I'll go with Demar Hamlin, somebody we haven't yeah. brought up a ton on the podcast, but I want to see how they use him. Uh, you know, as they get into more full contact situations, where he can fit maybe as a nickel, and you know, in that Dean Marlowe type of role, and you know, the competition at safety, I think will be worth watching. You know, it's a big year for Jaquan Johnson, especially when they draft a guy like Hamlin. So he's somebody that I think, you know, has some, some sneaky potential, uh, perhaps a, a training camp sleeper for anybody Ooh. that's able to make it out to, to some of these practices to keep an eye on. I'm just curious to see how they move him around, where they put him, and how he's able to handle all that as a young player. There you go. All right, so um, that'll I think that'll do it for us. I mean, we'll we'll reconvene um, when when training camp gets here by all means. But uh, but yeah, this is a good uh, a good little setup here. So Matthew Fairburn, any fond words of farewell before uh, we don't talk to our listeners for a couple of weeks here? I've got nothing. It'll be good to get back to regular, you know, some regular training camp rhythm and routine. And I'm sure fans feel the same way. Um, you know, being able to, sounds like they'll be able to go to some practices, which is a, a welcome change. Absolutely. And uh, you'll be able to read all of our daily reports over at theathletic.com. Head to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat to subscribe today. All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. And we will talk to you when training camp is here. See you then. <laughs>